Hey, happy Easter, everybody. Thank you so much. You can take a seat. I think the very best way to respond to the truth that God displayed his power by raising his son from the grave is to do what we just did, is just to respond in worship and praise and thanksgiving. And so we're really going to emphasize that with our time together, uh, but in a way to worship both in spirit and in truth, we're going to look at a passage of scripture, I hope, that will stir in our hearts who believe more praise and worship, deeper just understanding of, of how important this day is that we're remembering. And for those of you who are coming as visitors, uh, maybe this would be an invitation for you to join us as we sing and worship God today. So if you've been with us at all during this Holy Week or Passion Week, uh, you may have noticed a theme that we've really been studying the Gospel of John as we've been looking at the last week in the life of Jesus. This morning we watched the sunrise come up and took communion and looked at John chapter 20. We're going to look at that again, but before we do, I want to have you turn to John chapter 16. If you're familiar with how the Gospel of John is laid out, John chapter 16 is actually before the empty tomb. John chapter 16 finds the story of Jesus' life in the upper room with his disciples, and he's preparing them for what's about to happen. He's going to encourage them and give them a lesson on how to understand what's actually being given through his death and resurrection. And so, as we think of this, I, I want to just put into your mind something to be looking for as we go through this passage of Scripture. Oftentimes when, you know, the big Christian holiday celebration service, if you think about gifts, usually think about Christmas. It's right there in the story with the three magi bringing gifts to Jesus. We reflect that by giving gifts to one another. But I have to say, the Easter story is much more appropriate when thinking about a gift, because Easter, what we're celebrating, every one of you who's saying with faith in the history of the empty tomb and the future of resurrection, you are celebrating a free gift of God. I, no one here was asked for their resume when they walked in of where they got their theological degree or uh, how much doctrinal soundness they have or uh, what they've done to counteract their good versus their evil. Everyone is here, welcomed, come one, come all, because the celebration of the morning is for all who believe in the grace of God for the free gift of his son sent into the world. And with that in mind, I want to point out three specific gifts of God through his son that flow from an empty tomb. That the stone is rolled away and, and from that empty tomb flow into our lives by faith gifts from God. And so we start in the story in John chapter 16, again in the upper room, starting in verse 16. <clears throat> Jesus speaking this to his disciple, to his disciples, giving a forecast about, of about what's to come. And he says, a little while and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. And then some of his disciples hear this, and they say among themselves, what is this that he says to us, a little while, 
and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father? They said, therefore, what is this that he says a little while? I am always remiss to point out that the Easter mood in the upper room, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in all of the holy places that we look at where the Easter story unfolds, there was zero expectation of resurrection. Lest any of you come here and think that we're doing what people have always done, just taking this as an assumption of faith. Jesus very quickly sums up the course of events that are about to happen. He says, in a little while, you won't see me. In other words, I'm going to die. And this is the moment in the story where I remind you of the little while reality that hangs over all of our heads. In a little while, you will not see me. In a little while, look around, you won't see each other. In a little while, this sanctuary will fulfill the statistic that awaits all of us that one out of every one person will die. And so rightfully, the disciples are somewhat confused when he says, a little while you won't see me, but then you will. What does that mean? What does it mean that we won't see each other? As C.S. Lewis says, Christians never actually say goodbye. And then in a little while, we will. And so to help them understand this heavenly truth that is about to un be unlocked by a stone rolled away and out comes a living Christ, he does what he often does when things go beyond our brain power on earth. He shares a parable. And this is how he sets up the parable. In verse uh, 20, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world re will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. He's predicting the very immediate turn of the storyline of course, last Sunday, we looked at Palm Sunday. Everyone was praising him as the coming king, Hosanna, to save, to be a savior of all. And this Sunday, we remember that between the goalposts, we remembered Good Friday. When the coming one, sent to save the world from sin and death, hung on a cross where the wrath of God was poured out against all ungodliness, where his perfect life was given a sacrifice for our sin. And if you came to our Good Friday service, you, you, you may relate a little bit to what Jesus is predicting they will feel from that. Their Savior hangs on a cross, breathing his last, buried in a tomb. Anguish and suffering. And we remember that. And of course, Many of you don't have to think 2,000 years ago to feel anguish and suffering that exists in this sanctuary. You've experienced death. You've experienced pain. Today is the hope that that would not be the end of the story. And Jesus is going to give his disciples the hope that comes in the form of labor. So if you're pregnant right now, I made the mistake of saying labor is the most painful thing you ever go through. It's true, but if you're pregnant with your first child, maybe earmuff this moment for just a second. I don't want to scare any of you into labor right now. <laughs> but Jesus says in verse 21, here's how you can think about sorrow being turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. Women who have been in labor, say amen. Amen. 
there's no greater pain than when a woman who's gone through the trimesters up to term, your hour has come. And men who have been in that room when the hour comes, say a quieter amen. <laughs> I have seen the pain of child labor. I remember when my wife was going through labor with our first child, and this, this verse comes alive, the incredible anguish and sorrow, and she looks at me and she's like, this is all your fault. <laughs> and I kind of had to take one for the team because I was giving her counter pressure on her back, and my back started to hurt too. So I was like, no, I feel your pain. This does hurt. <laughs> Don't do that if, that if that happens to you. But a funny thing happens in the gift of life that every one of you, we're part of a living parable for how God uses anguish to bring joy. Because Jesus says this truth. He says, as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Can you believe it? It's true. It's the only way we have families with multiple kids. <laughs> is that as soon as the child is held in the arms of the mother, all of the pain and sorrow and anguish and frustration for the moment to finally arrive is superseded by the greatest joy that you can experience. When life comes into the world, and my wife looked at me in ways that shocked me right after she had given birth to our first child, and she said, I can't wait to have more kids. I thought, I remember what you were going through a minute ago. Jesus uses this as a living parable to describe something that is so hard to understand about the sorrow and anguish of life. He's telling his disciples, in a little while, you're going to see me again. There is an endurance to life that we can go through with confidence that the sorrow and anguish for those who believe in the life that you can have in Christ will actually end in the joy of newness of life. And if you do believe, you can think back to what the Bible calls the day of the joy of your salvation. When you went through the sorrow and anguish of the reality that you live in a body that is perishing. You have 70 to 80 years on this planet. The Bible says that most of it is spent with toil and hard work. Life is very difficult. And yet... When you encounter the living God who has the power to give life to your mortal bodies, it is the joy that is indescribable, the newness of life, the second birth. And we see today as a remembrance that it isn't just theology. It's a moment where God brought the first fruit of all creation into time and place and history. And Jesus says to his disciples, therefore, now you have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. The first gift that flows from resurrection is an indescribable joy of life that goes beyond the sorrow of this life. If you believe in the power of of God to raise his son from the grave and to share that life with you freely, you have a joy that cannot be robbed from you. A joy that is not shackled to the circumstances of your life. 
And one of the reasons for that is found in this next gift that Jesus is going to unlock for his disciples. He continues to encourage them. He reminds them that it is a gift of grace by predicting their inevitable fall from grace when they all abandon him in his moment of betrayal. And as he says, when the, sheep, the, sh when the shepherd is struck, the sheep shall scatter. His very next moment of encouragement is to say, in verse 33, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have much tribulation or trouble, trials, difficulties, worry, anxiety, depression, wars, rumors of wars, bank accounts that seem to be dwindling, friends that seem to be splitting, families that are broken, churches that are messy. In this world you will have trouble. Amen. Easter does not land on a perfect family photo. There's always a story behind whatever amazing picture you have in these beautiful outfits you have this morning. If you're visiting, the church does not always look this nice. <laughs> but there's always a story behind it to remind all of us that in this world we'll have trouble. And good news, bad news before the good news, and you're all part of it. It's so easy to hear this right reality that Jesus describes about our world, that it's a troubled world, and say, of course it's troubled because of that guy, because of this crazy political party, because of horrible medical advice, because of greedy robber barons, because of my annoying neighbor, because of the people on the freeway that cut me off. Of course the world's troubled. The world is troubled because of me and every single one of you we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. We are all in desperate need of a savior. This world will not save itself. And no human who has ever lived apart from Christ has ever overcome the penalty of sin, which is death. So this is why we have good news this morning. Jesus says, this world is troubled, but take heart, be encouraged. Hold on to your joy. I have overcome. I have overcome. Now, here's the interesting part about the timeline of the story that we're studying this morning. Remember, we're still in the upper room. Jesus has yet to be betrayed. Jesus yet, has yet to stand the mockery of a trial. Jesus has yet to be whipped. Jesus has yet to be nailed to a cross. Jesus is yet to breathe his last, and the stone has yet to be rolled away. And yet, what does Jesus say? I have overcome. It's as good as done. He knows the mission that he is on is to go into the grave to conquer it. He knows that he will suffer many things. He will die, and on the third day, as he predicted numerous times, he would rise again. And I appreciate Jesus speaking to his disciples then and speaking to his disciples now. Because we find ourselves celebrating in a crossroads of history. We celebrate by faith an empty tomb 2,000 years ago. The stone was rolled away and Jesus walked out. He now sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven in glory. And we look forward to the day when we actually get to see this reality up close and personal. None of you have walked out of your own tomb yet. None of you have seen 
the resurrection promise for the saints. We take that by faith. But we take it by faith knowing that as Jesus approached the cross, he said, it's already done. I have already overcome. As we were leaving the Good Friday service, if you were there, you know that we left with a bit of a cliffhanger, waiting for this moment to celebrate what happened after Good Friday. And as we were leaving, I just felt the weight once again of the love of God in my life that while I was still a sinner, he died on the cross for me. And some tears were falling down my face because I'm a crier, if you didn't know that about me. Someone came up to me and said, hey, real quick, don't worry. <laughs> he said, this reminds me of the scene in The Princess Bride. Who's seen The Princess Bride? If your hand is down, watch it tonight. Princess Bride is about a princess. That's all you really need to know. But it, the setup is uh, there's a boy and a, a grandpa, and the grandpa decides to read him a book called Princess Bride, and the movie unfolds by showing a theatrical version of the book. And at one moment in the movie, it looks as though all is lost. Princess and her prince are in dire straits. It looks like they're about to die. And the movie cuts to the grandson, and he says, Grandpa, stop reading. I don't want the princess to die. And the grandpa looks at the grandson and he says, it's, the book is called Princess Bride. She's not going to die. Let me keep reading. <laughs> and that moment is so often where we find ourselves in the crossroad of resurrection. In this world, you have trouble. Headline news. Wars, rumors of wars. Heavy hearts, broken hearts. Sometimes we wonder if all we're doing is celebrating history and we look at the future and it seems uncertain and sometimes we say, Lord, I don't know if I can keep believing. And he says, I have overcome. Today we stir in our hearts thanksgiving and praise and we cast out all pessimism. We cast out all doubt and any fear that you have that the world that is full of much trouble is actually going to win. It won't. So lest we only get to the upper room, we'll look at the end of the story also in John chapter 20. At this point in the story, Jesus has died. He's risen. He has revealed himself to women who were faithful to be at his tomb. And his disciples are still afraid. It says in verse 19, Then the same day of evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. The gift of the resurrection is that we now have a message from heaven to earth that God has come to make peace with people. He gives us indescribable joy in the newness of life that we have in him. And he gives us a constant peace to know that no matter what the state of the world, wherever you are fearful that somehow you have something that could be taken from you, that the life that God freely gives you is anything to be worried or questioned about, Jesus comes and says, peace. And why does he, what does he back this message up with? It says in verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. He went to the cross and had his hands pierced 
had his side pierced. And with the visible object lesson of death, he says to them, peace. In other words, he's overcome. God wants to make peace with you. God loves you enough to send his only son into the world to bring a message of peace and to overcome anything, sin and death, that would separate you from a relationship with him that would be an indescribable joy that no one could take from you. And this brings us to the final and most important gift that we, one, celebrate and, two, offer this morning. Going back to the upper room, as Jesus continues with his disciple, he actually shifts from preaching to praying. I think that's an important shift to point out because there is no amount of preaching or religious gathering. There is no one Sunday morning service that you can show up to and leave and have confidence that you are in good standing with God. There requires a spiritual moment to happen through the power of prayer that you would learn to confess your need for newness of life. And so Jesus begins to pray for that, for his disciples. And this is what he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, that he would grant you or gift to you eternal life, life that goes beyond the sorrow and anguish and inevitable death on this side of eternity. Because in the end, if all we did was unlock a way for you to feel a little bit more peaceful or a little bit more joy, get a little bit better version of your 70, 80 years, and left it at that, in a blink of an eye, in a little while, this message would mean nothing. But the true gift of the resurrection is that sin and death have been dealt with not only for Christ, but for all who believe. It says in Romans, if this, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There is only one reason to celebrate this morning. And it is because God loves you enough to give you the gift of life with him forever and ever and ever. There's a moment in the ministry of the disciples in Jesus' training time before the resurrection and the church was planted where he gives them authority to speak in his name and they come back. And they said, we did many wonders, and they were rejoicing. He says, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. If you believe, today, my only desire is that you would stand confident with joy in your heart for this truth and peace that surpasses all understanding. Your name is written in heaven. Sin and death do not hang over your head as anything that will condemn you. 
You know the end of the story for your life, and you will sing and celebrate today as a preview for eternity with God. And if you don't know, eternal life, the free gift, I'll say it again, it is a gift. It is all because of the perfect life that Jesus lived, exchanging his righteousness for our sin, paying a price, dying on your behalf so that he could freely give you life. And if you have never accepted that truth in your life, today's the day. Today you can leave here with the gift from God where joy and peace and life eternal become the end of your story as well. And regardless of what you choose, we'll end right where we started. It'll be a little while. It'll only be a little while before every single one of us will stand before the one that has authority over all with an account of our lives. Let us celebrate with joy and peace the free gift of eternity. If you've never made that declaration, it's a simple confession. Lord, thank you for loving me. I received the free gift. If you do pray that prayer today, we'd love to meet you and help you take some next steps. But other than that, we are going to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So let's stand and worship him now.